You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. I hope it doesn't sound like I got this big ego, but... When I open my mouth up, people cry. When I play people, they just go, oh, my God. And it's just that I'm just used to it. I don't take it for granted. But, I mean, I'm on stage playing with Joe Satriani, and he comes out up to me after the show and says, man, I looked at you over there, and I thought, that is a rock god, man. You are so cool. And I'm thinking, I'm standing next to Joe Satriani, <laughs> you know? Or, or, or I, play, I, I did Purple Haze with Slash at a Hendrix tribute show one time, and, and this was like 10 years ago. And at, at, when he got done with the song, he goes, dude, you are badass. And he gave me a big hug while the crowd is clapping, you know? And so for me, I ain't intimidated by anybody. It ain't that I think I'm better than anybody. It's just, I just go do what I do. Welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here as always with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. How you guys doing? Well, Ben is busy eating his Haribo gummy bears that he likes to refer to these days, but super excited to dive into part two with the amazing Doug Pinnock. We had a great conversation in part one, so don't forget to check that one out too and subscribe at 2020-d.com to stay tuned for all of the wonderful guests we have on the show. Yeah, and if you're looking for inspiration, you look no further. This episode, it just makes me want to go write an album right now. Yeah, he just makes me want to be calm. He's just such a calm <laughs> spirit. He helps tame all of our collective anxieties. How can they make these gummy bears so delicious without actual flavoring? It says all artificial flavoring, but it tastes so flavorful. It's all artificial. I mean, you're just eating ground up animal bones, aren't you? Isn't that what those are? Well, Ben's the artificial flavoring in this intro, so forget it. Here it is, part two with the amazing Doug Pinnock. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with a truly legendary human being who is in the club of like Sammy Hagar. Um, all the mummies have been perfectly preserved in Egypt for 5,000 years. And um, a few other people in rock history, like Quincy Jones doesn't seem to age. He looked that same way for like 79 years. But this guy is an amazing vocalist, uh, a prolific songwriter, incredible bass player. And he literally is on songs with everybody, even fucking Ice-T. Can we give it up for Doug Pinnock, spelled D-U-G? <laughs> I love awesome. that. Can I can nice. I ask you about the genesis of the D-U-G, just for anyone that doesn't know the story? How did that uh, come about? Okay, let me make this one quick, too. You know, I won't go, go down another rabbit hole, but I like calligraphy. My mother can write like a Hallmark card. She's that good. And I've always admired that, and I've always liked writing. And so I have this, I have a really good handwriting, but it's it's not as good as hers. But um, um, I used, so I used to, when I'd write letters to people, I'd, I'd write like, hey, how you doing? It's a, then I'd draw a sun. 
mm-hmm. and then Nide, and I I used to do that a long time and all these things, and I used to draw a lot of stuff in school and grade school, and so you know, uh, writing cur- curvature uh, stuff, it was just so much fun that all of a sudden we got computers and we start typing, and all of a sudden nobody's using cursive anymore, and mm-hmm. and there's no art the art is gone and one day i just got bored and i put a little d and a big u and a small g and i looked at it and i thought that's artistic because i gotta do so everything in my life i gotta put i gotta well syntax is next to godliness (laughs) yes and so 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 i did that and and i started putting it on uh, uh uh emails and after a while, it just kind of stuck. And then I went online one time and it said D-O-U-G alias D-U-G. And now <laughs> it's D-U-G. I had nothing to do with it. So that's how that all happened. It was just like I did it as a fluke and I didn't pay attention. And this is what it and is And then the now. internet chose your identity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at, it does. at that point, I go, okay, I might as well just keep it now, dude. And my, and my, <laughs> <laughs> the other thing also is, uh, black folks in the South is, uh, call me Doug. Doug. White folks in the South too, Doug. So I, I think Doug. You know, well, Doug, can Doug, I ask you? Doug, okay. Doug. On on behalf of of black folk, can I ask you? Because I'm so confused, and I don't normally like to get into religion or politics or any of that. Oh, I do. <clears throat> I watched Dave Chappelle, mm-hmm. and I know that you know you're a gay man, you're a black man, you're in your seventies. Yeah. Uh-huh. Am I offended by this? I don't know if I'm supposed to be offended. Like, what's going on? Because people are walking off Netflix, and like, I saw this thing, and I always feel like he's a great orator. He knows history, but like, dude, I don't know if dude, I should be offended. Uh, I, I, I'll I'll address the Dave Chappelle thing. Um, people ain't listening to what he's saying, and that's it. They people people are not listening to what he's saying, and fuck them. You know, remember what he said? He said all those movie stars walked one out with their black dresses on going to Me Too movement, showing everybody. Now, what the fuck is that? Every straight guy wants to fuck a woman in a black dress. So they wear black dresses like, so what was that supposed to mean? And then they wouldn't let the black chick be on a part of it. They didn't want no trouble. And then she gets up there and says, I'm a woman, ain't I? And Dave Chappelle, his whole point was, my problem ain't with the LGBTQ, whatever the fucking name it is today is. My problem is with white people. And I'm going, <laughs> there you go. It's like <laughs> those people went on to do their thing. And what he said, what, what else did they do? Did they go down into the trenches? And he said, did they fire all their lawyers and get an LGBTQ manager to help them? Did they do any of that? That those are hypocrites. He don't like hypocrites. And hypocrites don't like to be told they're hypocrites. Sure. Wow. Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Because I, I got to tell you, from my perspective, I watched it going, okay, I should be offended now, right? Why? I should be offended. No, well, exactly. Because every, every time I watch <laughs> Dave Chappelle, well, but not just that. Dave Chappelle makes makes me think because he's he's become yes. above a level of a comedian mm-hmm. because he's got like a guy like Henry Rollins is a little bit less of a comedian, more of an orator, mm-hmm. but same kind of concept in that he he tells these very introspective stories mm-hmm. that you don't know where he's going, 
mm-hmm. he's very intelligent. He's very well spoken, and he's educating people through his mm-hmm. words. And Dave Chappelle, it's like it's like a pen and teller Jesus, thing. Jesus said, "Those who have ears to hear, let them hear." The rest of y'all that won't hear, fuck y'all. <laughs> that's a, that's the title of our episode now. Yes. <laughs> Corey's like, I'm you not know, sure I can fit you can, that you in. Can lead, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink the water. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, at some point, you just got to say, y'all ain't listening, but I'm going to keep talking because there's somebody else out there that does hear it and just take the shit like they Dave Chappelle did. You know, the last joke he told about that girl was hilarious. And I remember he said, and she would have laughed at that one, too. And I went, yes. And when the last thing he said was, he said to to that community, stop beating my people down because they beat that woman down because she stood up for Dave Chappelle because he was a great comedian and she loved what he did because they don't want to hear the truth. They just want a cause. Yeah. I love hearing it from from you because I feel the same way, but I'm a white Jewish guy. Well, yeah, you can't say nothing right now. I can't say shit. Although my people were technically, even though I don't give a shit about that, everyone can say my people from then and this. I don't give a fuck. It's who you are now. Here's the sad thing. White people have been held hostage for a long time with racism. You know, here's the deal. Most people are not racist. Racism is not what the media says racism is. Get what I'm saying? If if a white person comes into my house and says, what's it like being black in the ghetto? I want to tell them, well, this is what it's like, rather than going, well, I'm so offended that you even thought I lived in the ghetto. Get over your goddamn self. I'm so fucking sick of these pussy people who can't take anything. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's like, you know, I grew up where I couldn't drink out of a, a, a faucet that said white only. I remember playing a place where I was with white people, but I had to stay in a hotel while the white kids stayed in white people's homes. I grew up in that life. Those people that are crying about this shit, they don't understand. They don't get it. They do not get it. You can say nigger or you can say nigger. There's two different ways to say it. My nigger is this and my nigger is that. Everybody goddamn say it. If black people can say it and rap it and make hits out of it and expect the little white kids in the suburbs not to say it, they're fucking idiots. Okay? There's a difference. I remember a person said to me one time, there goes a nigger. I knew what he meant. Yeah. But when when a, when a country and western singer, his friend is drunk and says, oh, man, get that nigger upstairs so he can get to sleep. And he loses his whole his whole in the music industry because of that. And he's blackballed. I'm going, everybody says that. People say it all the time. It's like, what are you talking about? We're just talking about our friends. There's nothing. It's not racist. And this is my problem. It's like the word racist has become all encompassing. You know, it's like a, a friend of mine. Well, actually, you know, a relative, you know, was said, if those thug Mexicans come across the border, you know, with their drug addict, I go, wait a minute. 
I said, what about the ones that are seeking asylum because they need to, you know, a woman who would send her child alone to get away from from the violence. And she says, well, you're just calling me racist now. And I'm thinking, I never said anything about racism. It's like, this is what I'm saying. It's like, people, take a deep breath. Yeah, that's a powerful. Do you think it's people just not wanting to dive into the details and it's people wanting to be broader? No, no, here's the deal. We have algorithms. Everybody, including me, you, all of us here, we have a different algorithm coming to our iPhone. What we have been scrolling, what we have been wanting, what we have been looking for, we get more of it than anything else. Everyone has their own reality, and the realities has caused people to create tribes, and the tribes but will not this, listen to each other. But explain this to me, because mm-hmm. I got these, I ordered these weeks before from uh-huh. the internet, and this came mm-hmm. up on my feed. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'll buy, I'll buy the signed Doug Pinnock record, which, by the way, for $100, you'll write someone's lyrics. Like, is that not and, something you can and, do on your site? And and I have never posted that. Because I saw you something know, like that on the side of my feed. And like, how does he know? I love that it, shit. Uh, uh, that's, that's what amazing. I'm saying. You can sit there and talk about buying a new pair of shoes. And I swear to God, your phone will show you some shoes from Amazon. Oh, it yeah. knows before. It mm-hmm. knows about the so, shoes. And it shows so, you that you want shoes. Uh-huh. And so now we have Facebook uh, and, and a lot of other. Meta. <laughs> Right. All this stuff, which is adding to the confusion, the separation and the hate, but also bringing people together, bringing loved ones together. The good, you know, it's like we're at a crossroads here because the only only thing we can do now is censor what we do, which is a crossroads because there's a civil war right there. But here's, here's what I think about it, too, is like Second time. they're still only telling us what we want to hear. They're still separating us. They're still using it to make money, because if you follow the money, they are in control. The p- people with the one percent, they're controlling us because they're making money on us. And until we wake up and stand up against it. We're just going to fight each other and we're going to get nothing and they're going to get everything. Just think about the billions of dollars that Amazon got and didn't, didn't give anybody a fucking raise. You know, I said, come on. Yeah. And, and, well, and nobody's to be fair, he about, built a really big rocket ship. And, and, nobody, and nobody's really, there, there's not a, nobody's protesting that. You know, they're protesting against Black Lives Matters or KKK. I'm going, what the fuck is that? It's like, are we that, like, oh, it's so frustrating. Well, well, the worst thing is is when people are so stupid, they don't realize they're sharing memes or things that actually mean something completely different. And yeah. you'll go and try to tell them, they're like, what do you mean? It's about a child. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're being racist. Yeah. Well, what? And, you have to, and they get mad at you and they get triggered because they don't understand that, like, they're literally just sharing a propagandist thing that somebody 25 minutes ago decided that they were going to create to make a bunch of dumb right. white people share their idea. <laughs> well, you said it, not me. Well, here's yeah. the thing. The one thing that you brought up that I think is so important, and it comes back to perspective, is we all need to find ways to connect with people that have experienced things outside of the internet, outside of memeology. And right. something that you brought up is you've lived through a lot of these things, a lot of these historical moments. You've experienced segregation, racism in a way that was way, way extreme, I'm sure, compared to anything that we've mm-hmm. ever come up against. And, you know, moments like this is where we can learn from people like you and others. And I think 
just you telling your story is incredible. And that's yeah, it's, it's hard to see things that are going on that a lot of us probably can't even relate to, because how do you empathize with something, you know, that you haven't gone through? And yeah. it's the only way you can learn is by talking like whether it's like this, you know, talking to people, facing people, you know, not just going through what's being fed to you on the Internet for sure. So, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, it's a complicated topic for sure. It but. really is. I just have no answers, but uh, just yeah. education one by one. I'll, yeah. I'll ask you this and, and to tie it into to your, you know, your your music and self. Like how do you process, you know, stuff like this in your music or is your music Absolutely. more? So absolutely. So is that part of like your most recent um, solo record, Joy Bomb? Yeah, there's some stuff in there. Same thing. Love and fear is everywhere. It's a way of life. It's a way we live. Take a walk on the wild side. If you dare, you would say you might change your mind. Close your eyes, empathize, see through someone else's eyes for your mind and your ass will follow. These are changing times. You know, it's like I wrote that 20 years ago, but it's still still relevant. Seems like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually was listening to the song. I wrote it down because again. Awesome. I don't. I. I'm, I don't know the names of anything. Like have yourself a merry little Christmas. I'm. I, I'm not gonna freak out. And and you say something that I say this to people all the time is that people think that you're rich just because you mm-hmm. play rock and roll. But really, all you get to do is is everything that you want to. Right. And and that's paraphrasing you because you you say it more eloquently. You, you say it. I wish I could have said that. But bro, you bro, just I'm listening to this. Put I'm a like, cap on. That's beautiful. D- this dumb guy, <laughs> this dumb dude is talking to me, bro. And I- I'm listening to this, and and this is all while you're playing bass that's way above my pay grade and singing like a fucking angel simultaneously. It's kind of bananas, dude. Thank you. <laughs> was it? There was no question there, but no, okay. I, just, I have to say that, like, I, I, I saw him from behind. You know, Kenny Arnoff going nuts, and I'm like, who the fuck? They're like, Doug so, Pinnock. I'm like, that's all my life. I'll try to pull him. a question out of that. Like, when, when you're writing, uh, mm-hmm. like, what does your process look like? You know, obviously, you know, you, you, the the lyrics are, are deep and important. So, so when you're putting music together. What's the order of operations in terms of the uh, idea? Lyrics are last. Lyrics, lyrics are not last. even a thought. Not even a thought. I'll make up a song. I'll, I'll, I'll pull up my Pro Tools Luna now because Luna blows away Pro Tools. I love my Luna. Um, wow. uh, yeah, it's UA. It's like the difference is like. It's really? Like, oh, I've yeah. I've never heard of it, actually. When I, uh, Luna is UA. Uh, okay. Un, uh, oh, Universal Audio. audio. Yeah. Universal. Yeah. Well, and, um, I feel like Pro Tools is like well, bondage. Like I, well, I feel enslaved every listen, time I listen, sign on listen, to it. Listen to me. I I felt the same way uh, with Pro Tools, but uh, I tried out Luna, and what I learned with Luna is that all the the tape emulators really sound like real tape, and so everything I lay down is basically on a Studer twenty four track tape. The emulator plus it has a need summing and it has every track has its own tape emulator where you can adjust it to to the way a tape player is. And nowadays, you know, I don't care what any sound man say when they say they can tell the difference, not this one. And so they, I love that I love that you're saying that. Well, pause for one second because okay. your new record sounds sonically bananas. And and there's so many people who wax philosophic about analog and all that. And I was mm-hmm. at a time where I remember people using Neve boards, but mm-hmm. also Pro Tools came in and, you know, the talkies killed vaudeville. Mm-hmm. And I, I 
I personally think like after I heard Metallica and 5.1 surround sound on a di- on a disc, I was like, dude, you're lying to me. There's no way the analog is better than this. And it's so great that you say that because you decided during COVID to become a, a better producer. And as a producer and as somebody who's always been tweaking into how I think it should sound, paraphrasing you, fucking hats off, dude. Thank you. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I want to sit in Shannon's crazy room down in Florida and just listen to it on vinyl. You know what I mean? Awesome. 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 We, uh, I was really happy with the vinyl because when we mastered it, I told them, I said, make sure we, it's, it can be as, as, as analog as it can sound. And when I got the record, I put it on and I was, I was going, whoa, I was kind of surprised, you know, because I wasn't expecting it to, to on a record to sound that analog compared to the other records. So I'm, I'm real happy with, uh, with, with uh, um, Miles who did it. That's, That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so going maybe mastered to- it. I mean, I meant mastered. And, and, hey, does it help with those Focal speakers behind you, Siobhan? Jesus, anyone trying to compensate <laughs> at your phone? Fo- ah. Those things are huge, man. Like, they just look like they're looking at me like a Pink Floyd video. That, well, this I is. I, I admire you even more for being involved in the mixing and all of that stuff. It's, my husband's the one that's the audio nerd. I am like, and I joke with these guys all the time. I'll record myself. He's like, did you think that sounded good? And I'm like, well, it sounded oh, wow. good to me. <laughs> I was so impressed with what I saw behind you. I just go, whoa. No, that's that. That's all him he is he's totally uh yeah well hold on, no but, okay. but he's compensating because you're a classical violinist that completely dis- makes all of oh. us feel feel unworthy with your playing oh. so like we have to buy speakers and like i have 200 guitars since i've met you so like it, I, it's just me trying to prove that maybe i'll be a third as good as your violin playing <laughs> oh my gosh no but you just reminded me of something that i loved that you actually said in the last episode speaking of like being a violin player and compensating but we, when we were talking about you know how you have to spend the early part of your you know, your 20s or whatever, like working on your craft and focusing on music. When I was going to school, I was totally discouraged by all of my teachers who knew that I was a good violin player. They thought it was a shame that I was going to study music. Like, oh, that's too bad. Like, why aren't you going to, you, you got good grades. Why don't you go to law school or medical school? And it was like, I was so excited to tell my teachers that I was going to go to music school. Like, this is going to be great. And everyone was like, oh, that's too bad. Like, they looked at it as just kind of a way to get into college. But like, you actually ditch it after that, you know? And I, I remember feeling heartbroken over that because I'm like, wow. And that stuck with me for a really long time, not to make it about me. But, you know, I, I spent the good part, I think, of my 20s feeling guilty for pursuing music because I felt like I was supposed to be doing something else. Yeah, you know? they do and that. That's, that's, just, that's a terrible thing to do to people. I, I wish people wouldn't do it. I um, and, and it's true. I learned the hard way when a friend of mine took me to see a band play one time. It's about about 80 well maybe 90 and uh we went to the club and i kind of said to him i'll get you for this and he goes what do you mean i go they suck and so we left and in my arrogance you know all right so about a month later i'm at a uh a record store looking through records and the kid a guy comes up to him and says hey man i heard you came to see my band play and i says oh yeah how you how's the band doing he says well i quit him I go, why? He said, well, if Doug Binnick says that my band sucks, I'm not going <gasps> to stay in him. And that was the day I realized, that you, be careful what you say. <clears throat> be careful what you say. And uh, I've been aware of that ever since. <laughs> did, you, did you mean it, though? Was it? Did you actually mean that they, they sucked? They weren't bad. It was just, <laughs> they, they weren't. 
they they really weren't bad. It, I was making a joke because yeah, you yeah. know, so, sometimes oh man, they suck. You know, let's go. You know, they were a good band. They weren't something that I wanted to go. I mean, I I remember watching them and I'm going, okay, it's like I'm not getting anything out of this. They're not bad. They're just, just another metal band, you know. Was, to if, me, if someone asks you an on you honest opinion, because I I think that's a tough one. If someone's there's like the two levels of musicians, right? There's mm-hmm. the people that are doing it for fun. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to tell them that their band sucks. Like, mm-hmm. no, they're having a good time. It, it is whatever. Right. It's, if it's them and their buddies getting together, having drinks, playing out, it's good. But if someone, and especially this this happens if you work in a studio environment where someone come in, comes in like, I'm going to record an album and I want to pursue music. And you sometimes have to be like, dude, uh, your drummer can't hold a beat. Like, yeah. you, you guys are terrible. Like, and like to do that and be... Uh, it's almost your duty to be like, are you, I always ask. Like, you, okay, have, you have to be hundred percent empathetic and you have to really know how to negotiate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to, you have to say, what are your goals? Are you trying to do this for a living? Are you trying to make mm-hmm. money with this? Like, are you trying to pursue this as a career? You have some more work to do. It's been so long since I've been around somebody that I didn't feel had it in if I just let them go, they'd figure it out. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, um, I've never, yeah, it's like everybody that I've been, ever been around were always incredible musicians. It's like all the people I would hang with, they all could do something, whether they did anything with it or not. You know, I mean, I mean, well, let even, me ask you, can I ask you about one guy? Cause you played with this yeah. dude, Eric Gales. Yeah. And we'll get into the drummer in that band who played with a little band called Mars Volta, but like no yeah. big deal. But like, what's it like <laughs> to play? Because when I first saw Eric Gales, okay, like he was part of like some like store, like one minute meme, TikTok, something. I'm like, it was like the new Hendrix or whatever. I'm like, that's a bold statement. And then I started watching him. I, I YouTubed him. I'm like, fuck. And then two hours later, I was like, fuck. <laughs> and now you play with him. And then I watched all the music with you guys. And then it's just like, Fuck. Do you ever sit there as a guy who's played with everybody and and, and still get the butterflies? No. No, that's great. <laughs> You're this disillusioned. You're like, fuck it. I don't even give a shit. No, I, 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 I literally have been lucky enough to play with some amazing guitar players as long as I've played in bands. Even in my 20s, when I was Who 18, Who are you the most intimidated by? Older. How about that? Who are you most I've intimidated ne- by? Yeah. I'm as a guitarist, in, I as a guitarist. Yeah, like who intimidated you as a guitarist? Like you, you didn't want to step on his toes, or maybe they were just personally. Well, like, I'm not. A, I'm not a guitar player, so I I don't even call myself a guitar player. I write everything on guitar, and I play all guitars on my solo records. But the only reason um, I you hear what you hear is because I sit there and play it till I get it. You know, I'm not a guy that goes out and uh, 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 Ty told me one time, he said, Doug, you're good enough to be a guitar player in a band. He told me that about 20 years ago. So, no, I, I mean, I, I mean, figured, you played oh, with all I these. OK, but, but I played bass with all these bands. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, what guitarist as far as like a personality, like a Joe Satriani? Oh, 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 like, have you been like around? Because oh, you, okay. yeah, you play bass, but maybe they're yelling at you like, bro, you got you to do what? No, and no, Satch no. Is, is a mean a, guy or something. No, here's the, here's the, here's the crazy thing. And I hope it doesn't sound like I got this big ego, but when I open my mouth up, people cry. When I play people, they just go, oh, my God. And 
it's just that I'm just used to it. I don't take it for granted, but I mean, I'm on stage playing with Joe Satriani and he comes out up to me after the show and says, man, I looked at you over there and I thought that is a rock God, man. You are so cool. And I'm thinking I'm standing next to Joe Satriani, <laughs> you know, or, or, or I, play, I, I did Purple Haze with Slash at a Hendrix tribute show one time. And, and this was like 10 years ago. And at, at, when he got done with the song, he goes, dude, you are badass. He gave me a big hug while the crowd is clapping you know and so for me i ain't intimidated by anybody it ain't that i think i'm better than anybody it's just i just go do what i do and and we just do what we do you know i remember i, I we played i played with steve i one night we had a jam and my rig was right behind him and his rig was next to mine but we had to set up kitty cornered so he was right in front of my rig and I'm thinking, oh my God, here's fucking Steve Vai standing here. And my lazy ass who plays bass behind the beat and all over the place because <laughs> I'm singing. And he's going to freak out. And I said, Steve, is my bass too loud? He goes, no, man, turn it up. I love bass players that pick. You're badass. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> then I go up to the mic and we do Sunshine of Your Love. You know, so for me, yeah, I, I have never, ever been intimidated by anybody ever in my life. Um, and it's not that I think that I'm any good. It has nothing to do with that. It's just that I just always got up and opened my mouth up and it was it, what happened happens. You know, and here's the thing, though. When I do that, I hate every second of it. I second guess every second of it. I beat myself up when it's over. I destroy any joy that I had when I did it because that's how hard I am on myself. But I did learn something on the Hendrix tour because I had one night, I almost had a panic attack before I went on because I thought I sucked every night. And I, and I was walking around in the dressing room by myself, singing the whole set and banging on my bass. I was in the bathroom, just singing the songs over and over again. God, I, 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 I was freaking out. And all of a sudden, and then I stopped and I started to pray like I always do to the universe. Universe, help me do a good job tonight. Help me, blah, blah, blah. But every time I ask the universe to help me, the opposite happens. And so I started going, well, help me sing good. Well, no, no, don't let me sing good. Just help me enjoy it. Oh, no, no, because I don't want to enjoy it because then I won't be able to sing. And I would go, go down this whole rabbit hole of talking to the universe, praying. And all of a sudden, about four shows in, Something stopped me all alone and hit my head and said, stop, you don't need to pray to me anymore. And I'm going, what the fuck? And, and this voice said to me, when you go on stage, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how horrible you think you are, no matter how horrible you think you look, when you get done singing, what happens? I go, people go nuts and they cry. It says, so you go out and do what you do and do what you're supposed to do and let it happen and shut the fuck up. And I walked on stage that night and it was the first time I felt like I connected as a person. I sang, I was happy. I hit notes. I saw them react. I was, I felt good. Not like it was the ego. It was like, it was, a, it was just a, like, 
to enjoy something, you know, to enjoy a crowd react to you. Because even when a crowd reacts to me, I would go back and go, no, I don't know why they're clapping, man. I sucked, I sucked, I sucked, you know, you know, because you hear all these things in your head that you were told as a little kid, nobody likes you, nobody wants you. You know, my mother never told me I was a good singer. She never told me I was a good bass player. She never once said that to me, you know, in my whole fucking life. She never told me I was a good poet when she wrote poetry. So in my life, I've always felt I wasn't good enough and I've always been trying to perfect it, you know, so so I'm kind of obsessed with pushing the envelope, keep going and going. That was pretty heavy. I don't know where I'm going with this. No, no, that's, no, I'm so glad you told that story because I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And when, when you were talking, I was like, wow, this sounds exactly like me because for a really, really long time, it was the same. I would hate every performance I did. I would usually cry after I played because I was yeah. like, oh, no, this was awful. And like it was all completely... Yeah, it, it's so hard. I, I don't even know. I mean, I think it's great advice what you gave that you 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 have to kind of look objectively sometimes at like yeah. what is happening around you. Yeah, if you finish a show and there's thousands of people cheering, you probably did an okay job. You, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but that yeah. that inner psychology but, is very hard to get beyond though, yeah. because that's just like like what I was saying about you know teachers saying oh it's a shame to go to music school or if your parent doesn't tell you that you are doing well at what you love you know that's well, that's something that really sticks in your head. I, I feel like yeah. the thing with the, the Instagram crowd and all these social media people that put out stuff thinking it's perfect like. You haven't really earned that emotional memory until you've apologized for your performance. Like as you run off stage, the first thing you're saying <laughs> is what you anticipate your parents are going to say, your friends like, oh, I couldn't hear my my vocals or my piano wasn't even fucking plugged in or like it, it takes such a long time to actually just be like, yeah. I fucking rocked that shit. But usually it's excuses forever as to why you just hate everything about everything that you do. And that's something that, you know, it, you you learn in the recording studio is that you have to get good at what you actually sound like versus what you think you sound like. And that's the real, yeah. like, you know, that's the matrix. That's like, you're, you're, you hear yourself naked. <laughs> like, you don't know what naked is until you're in a studio with like, you know, Corey sitting there going like, all right, dude, now sing it in pitch. Now with time, <laughs> now, now both pitch and time at the same oh, time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but and then and then he just stops and starts and stops and starts and stops and starts and like that's the reality. That's literally what sometimes you need to know that like you need to be humble too. Yeah, <laughs> there was one thing that you brought up. Uh, it seemed like a little insecurity or or at least uh, like a feeling of judgment over playing bass with a pick. Like what the fuck is that? What is wrong with um, playing bass with a pick? I have been I have been told all my life I should be playing with my fingers and 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 truly bass players, you know, the real bass players mainly play with their fingers in King's X. When Sam Taylor, our manager, came to visit or came to start working with us, he called me a frustrated bass player, which was an insult because, you know, basically saying all bass players with picks want to play guitar. And I never wanted to play guitar. I, I like to play guitar to write songs, and that's about it. I love playing bass. Bass is what I love to do. But I love that pick because I love the way it sounds. Exactly. And I play, I, play, I play bass like if you played with your finger, I play bass like I play with my fingers. And that's a, I've, I've never changed it. I play with my fingers for a while, uh, for the first like six months or maybe a year. And then when I found that tone, that Chris Squire tone, and I found out you had to use a pick, I just switched over and went for it. I didn't care. It's what it always blows my mind. 
you know, and, and I am, I'm, I'm in a weird situation cause I started on guitar, uh, and I started playing bass 15 years ago and I mm-hmm. made, I made a distinct effort to play bass, like a bass, a bassist, mm-hmm. I should say. So I, I, I can play finger style bass all day. Um, and there are times when you, a pick it, it, a guitar does a guitarist doesn't just play with a pick. They play with their fingers. They play every, it's an instrument mm-hmm. that has so many different sounds and it's mm-hmm. always blown my mind when someone says, Oh, well you're playing with a pick. So you're just, you're just half-assing this instrument. It's like, no, that, that is a yeah. stylistic choice and it's a great choice. I mean, I mean, just, just the thing, just think about metal, for instance, if you, yeah. if you want to go, you don't do that with your fingers. You got a palm with like a fucking guitar and you yep. take that pick and go. Kunk, 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 kunk. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, and I watch, on, these, you're playing I watch it these down. pick players going. <laughs> and I'm going. But but then when the guitar players goes, you're going. Gang, 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 gang. I'm going, you lo- you know, you lost me. What's yeah. going on here? <laughs> yeah. It's. Ben, go ahead. Uh, uh, well, there's, there's all these. There's all these. If I'm going to take it on like a total guitar nerd, it's like you know. Well, you, you know, you're playing it really low, and your pick has a really cool angle. So maybe it's the angle of your pick because your arm is fucking longer than any arm I've seen on any human, and you're playing your bass so low. I mean, do you think it's partly the way that you play because you pl- have such a distinct? I mean, like no, nobody plays bass like you, dude. Like it's the most ridiculous like stance. It's like a power <laughs> stance. It's the Doug Pinnock fucking power stance, and it's all. Awesome. Awesome, dude, because you just you look like you're having the greatest time in the fucking world. And like I, you could give me a million dollars and hold a gun against my head and I could never even emulate it. Not for a, <laughs> a bar. I love playing bass. Bass is a voice. And bass for me, my my take on bass is to play it like it's a voice. Shake your strings, slide into things. You know, make it make it a voice, give it nuance like every other instrument that you're playing with has. And um, and being a singer, I'm told that singers have a knack for uh, they play bass differently. You know, Sting, Paul McCartney, we can go down the list, Getty Lee. They, I'm told that singer bass players, they have a different sensibility on bass. And so I've Slayer. Come, yeah. Slayer too, man. It's literally, you know, um, watching him play and sing. I go, whoa, you know, same thing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what is my point? Oh, well, you and and and, and because I play low, now that ain't got to do with the style. I don't think um, playing low, I thought was cool, but what happened was playing that low gives me no back problems because mm-hmm. you're free to do whatever you want to and you can sling that guitar anywhere you want to put it put your leg anywhere you, because it's just hanging down low and if you can if you know what you're doing on the bass you can put that bass anywhere and relax you know i don't have a les paul strapped to me with a big thick strap and my back is hurting me. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm held up like this because those guys are wearing back braces. And I'm slumped over like this, rocking out, bopping up and down. And, you know, I went to a chiropractor once and I said, man, you think you need to straighten my back out? And I said, I play bass. And he goes, well, let me check you out. And he went, 
this one seems like you're okay. <laughs> and and I'm a firm believer that it's because I play my bass solo in the strap solo. The strap also, I mean, a big thick strap to me just cuts my neck and I can't do anything but just kind of my, my hands kind of, uh, my muscles, everything gets tense up. When, I'm, when my arms are dropped, if my hand gets tired, I can go this way or that way. If my fingers get tired, I can just lift them and just swing it around. Uh, oops, oops, what did I do? I can always keep hitting the song. Oh, I'm not getting, just getting passionate. Hang on. <laughs> well, you know what? That made me, that made me realize I have even That's more respect for. I have even more respect for Randy Rhodes because but, um, he used to play with a full get, he's python. Get his, he's get his yeah, his it's yeah. it. Um, um, you can. Um, here we are. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is, get you passionate. can be very. You can be. Yeah, I am a pretty passionate. But you can be very uh, acrobatic with uh, when you play that low. Yeah. Um, and and I'm I'm making a point. You know. Um, cause I've watched, I watched Fanny back in 1971. Remember that all girl band? Um, they, even before Joan Jett, anyway, the, the girl played bass and she sang and she stood there and played these songs and sang with complete independency. And I was so impressed with her and I've never forgot it, you know, and and I think that was very encouraging to just that it could be done, you know, and it's fun. And and for me, watching Yes and all the complicated riffs that they do and how they could sing over top of them and watch them live do it. That was another encouragement. I was going, yeah, let's let's make up the most fucked up riffs I can and see if I can put a melody over top of them and do it, do it together. And it was a challenge and it became it, it, it's become easy now, you know, after all these years. But uh, but it Hold was. Hold on, a, can, we, can, was can a, I tell you something? The last yes. three guests in a row have had blown away yes stories. Nuno was in a yes progressive band that he uh -huh. described it as yes. Gene yes. Jolly, who we just talked to, who was the president of Guitar Center, was also in a band and said that yes was the reason that he played. Mm -hmm. That literally all the odd meters and all of that, uh, you know, the Wakeman era. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying Chris Squire. And it's yeah, just, it's really interesting. Like no, but I'm saying it's just really interesting because it's, you know, like I, I love Yes, but they're a band that a lot of people like, you know, they don't mm -hmm. understand. It's 32 minute songs. Yeah. And like, like how, like, it's like, how do they build the pyramids? They had Yes do it. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing about Yes also was that at a, when it, when they came out, it was their second record, Fragile. And this was 71. And we were all brand new at this stuff, you know, 72, something like that. And so to hear that type of a bass was so new to us that I, th I think I'm, most bass players kind of went that direction. Tom Peterson, everybody, you know, we all went out and got guitar amps, <laughs> you know, and, and put them together because that's what Chris Squire did. Um, the thing I loved about Chris Squire also was he could play soulful. He could put a groove down. Because Roundabout, think about that song Roundabout, where one part he's just going, that's I can Tina Turner, you know? Then all of a sudden he's going, and all of a sudden he's on the prog land with keyboards and every second Palmer and shit, you know? And I'm going, this guy put the two together and made it work. And that's what really opened my mind up to the, 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 the how far you could go with bass. 
is you don't have to be Jamie Jamison. You could you could go you could be John Entwistle and Jamie Jamison and make it work. You know, and that's where I and then I heard John Entwistle too. His tone was what got me. John Entwistle played too much for me. It's just too busy. I couldn't find the groove there. But boy, oh boy, that tone, man. It was like and how he used to trail, you know, everybody'd go bum, bum, bum. And he'd go bum, bum, bum. He always hit that open note before the rest of the band would hit in just to hear that tone. And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> and you listen to King's X or anything I do, I always kind of hit that note ahead of the beat. Or I'll lag it off for a millisecond after the band ends, just so you can hear that tone, just like he did. You know, everything we do is because we heard somebody else do it. Sure. Yeah, of course. A combination of influences. I wanted to ask you, you kind of answered it a little bit, but I wanted to ask, what was the initial reason that you were drawn to bass specifically over guitar? Because obviously, you know, a lot of people start Mm -hmm. on guitar, they eventually go over to Mm -hmm. bass. So I'm wondering why, what it was about bass, maybe something specific that you heard or an artist. Growing up up in the 50s and 60s, guitar was way in the background. You didn't even notice it. It was all about the bass. I mean, especially the, uh, the, the, the 60s. If you think about uh, um, Motown songs and uh, 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 Memphis songs, the bass always started out. You knew what the song was. It was always the bass. So, so I was like seven, eight, six. I'm not sure. I had to look it up one day. But um, Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers had a song called Why Do Fools Fall in Love? I was... I wasn't in, I don't think I was in school yet. And I was at my cousin's house and they're teenagers and they used to play all the rock and roll music, Little Richard and all that stuff. And they brought these two records on the platters, Why Do Fools Fall in Love and no, uh, the platters, uh, The Great Pretender and Why Do Fools Fall in Love. There's 78 records. And I heard this song and I go, wow. And I remember sitting there and that's all I listened to on that song. And I remembered the song. I could sing it to you right now. But that bass part, I memorized it. And I would go home and think about it. And from that point on, it was like everything I listened to, I honed in on the bass. Low end. Even when I played baritone sax, it was. And, and even when I started banging on a grand piano, it was. And I, I would just love that tone. And so I finally just, I kind of put it all in my base. That's amazing. Yeah. I got to tell you, the most excited I've been by any human being was when I got an email randomly from Carol Kay a few months ago. And she was the one that played bass on a bunch of those songs. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember uh-huh. her? And, and, and I called my mom. I'm like, Carol Kane. She's like, who? And I'm like, are you joking? I'm like, Nobody the knew. Batman theme, my mm-hmm. girl. Like, do you know a band called The Temptations? Like, do you know everything from the 60s and the 70s ever? Like the Wrecking Crew? So mm-hmm. like, I, I, I got to tell you. Have you ever watched the video? Oh, the, the, there's a documentary the, the, on it, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I've watched that. Absolutely. I had no idea either. I mean, they I was like They played like 100 school. million songs. Like those yeah. people n- nailed those tunes that we've been listening to for years in like an hour. She got no credit for it either, really. I mean, we hear about it, but she should How about Gimme Shelter? She, How about that girl yeah, in Gimme Shelter? Yeah. where like, She should uh, be in a Hall of Fame. Yeah, she she goes in and like they paid her like 10 bucks or something like that. And then the next day she hears herself yeah. on the radio with the Rolling Stones. And it's like- She's the voice that everyone knows forever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True story. Music. 
Moral of the story, it's cool to play bass with a pick. I don't care what anyone says. Awesome. <laughs> and listen to Doug. Don't ever ask for money. Don't ask for money and you won't be let down. <laughs> That's true. So, so t- Doug, we got about 10, 10 minutes left, a little more, maybe 15 okay. minutes left. I want to really know about what, what you're working on. Like, what, what do you want people to hear right now? I mean, the solo record is phenomenal. Like, like the, what's, what's up with... Um, you know, Grinder Blues, which I've heard a little bit about. Uh, like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, two brothers, Scott and Javo, they are uh, the drummer and a guitar player. And um, they they played with uh, Sun Seal. And I, I call them white boys that play with a bunch of black blues players because they played <laughs> with, they've got to open for, or, or, or behind B.B. Uh, King, Ray Charles. They've done a couple some stuff with them and been uh, it, it, been on tour with them and stuff. So, so it's like they know their music. And I grew up in the 50s where Chicago blues started. And I remember the authentic records were played in the front porch, the 45s and 78s when I was a little kid. And I just remember all the conversations and hearing that stuff. And I thought, these guys, they know they know blues, the, the traditional blues, the real stuff. And I thought, well, I remember that stuff, too. Let's let's kind of let's do a throwback to the old Chicago blues, but take it by way of ZZ Top's Trey's Ombre's album. Let's make it. Let's let's the do reverend. Yes, let's do, let's do what ZZ Top did. Now, I was 22 when ZZ Top came out with uh, Trace uh, Ombres. And for me, that was like taking all that shit I listened to growing up and putting it in my generation's hands and putting it on 12. Because the songs were traditional, but they had a little twist to them. They had a little cleverness to them. They had a little bit more upbeat and they were darker and heavier. And I thought, this is badass. I said, so let's take that approach 100 years later. So we decided to take our guitars and drop them down to B and do this easy top thing. But put our little twist to it. And uh, it turned out to be fun um, because it's really traditional, but it's a little twisted. And what I love about it more than anything is there's only one way you can sing blues. So I'm not experimenting like I do with all my other stuff. Cause you know, I grew up singing in the choir in school. I can like, I like singing like a white boy and doing queen harmonies. You know, I, I like show tunes music, you know, I like Celine Dion. So, you know, all those different types of genres, I kind of, I kind of somehow try to morph into the, the vibe of whatever the song that I'm writing is. But with Grinder Blues, you just going to sing blues. You ain't going to sing nothing else. And so it's kind of a comfort to just, just, just lay it out like I'm in church and singing the blues. So that's a lot of fun. It's a real natural sounding record. The other thing about it real quick is we went to Cleveland, Mississippi, where we made the record. There's a blues college in Cleveland, Mississippi, where the producer was teaching a class. He said, come down and we'll do this record for free. And he said, we'll do it in front of a class. And he says, okay. So we went down and we wrote all the songs on the spur of the moment, did the whole record. And when I got there, I come to find out that the Dockery, which is a plantation, which was down the road, which is where all the blues players went and picked cotton before the cotton gin came and they lost their jobs. And then they all moved to Chicago and Memphis. Okay, so 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 I went there. We did the, we did the whole trip, learned everything. Then the Crossroads 
where the where the where the 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 the, the, the graveyard is. We went to the crosswalk, crossroads where, you know, the whole thing started, you know, uh, Johnson, what's his name? Robert Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Then, okay. Then make it, make it even deeper than that for me. Down the street, 10 miles is a town called Batesville. This is Laurel County, Mississippi, Laurel County, Mississippi. This is where my dad's family comes from. So my whole family came from that area in that town. They were slaves at the, at the at the Bates Ranch, and this town is called Batesville. Down the road, ten miles, my grandmother, who's Choctaw Indian, was born, and I'm standing there going, I'm getting ready to make a fucking blues record, and all this history right here, and it was just I just soaked, soaked it all in. It was amazing. I didn't talk to any relatives about it because I don't know my dad's family a, a whole lot of them. I know my sisters, but I kind of mentioned to him later. So I didn't run out and meet anybody even. But when I go into the town, I saw black people. I go, man, these people might be my relative because I didn't even meet my dad till I was 14. So I don't know his family that well. But uh, wow. it was just it was just a crazy thing in the, in the yeah. First song on the record is a true story. Wow. What an amazing experience. Wow. That's amazing. It, it really was. <laughs> yeah. So that's Grinder Blues. And then my solo record. Yeah, I just did it at home and had fun. <laughs> makes it, it I, makes it new, sound new so King's easy. X, new King's <laughs> X is done, and um, we're getting ready to. We got a lot of things going with that. I can't. I don't know what to say yet because there's <laughs> so much. We're so much. We're going to do to put this record out that it's going to take us a while. So our so fans are kind. Of, our fan. Our fans are kind of pissed because we're taking forever, but they're going to be happy because I mean I've just been getting some emails with some things some campaigns and some things we're going to be doing that i'm like going, yeah this is like what we've always wanted to do you know video things and live things and just you know documentary kind of things and all kinds of cool things and it's all going to come out at once but it's going to take a while so <sighs> so we gotta we gotta we gotta hold that's awesome a, a lot the, to uh, look King's forward X. to yeah yeah <laughs> but at least you have so many projects going on and so many things coming out that, that people can check out and yeah and also, K K oh, and also kxm because you mentioned uh, uh, PGP, Bridget and, and Gales. Um, KXM is George Lynch and Ray Luzier from Corn, And we have three records out. We're going to be working on the fourth one probably in a few months. Uh, we're going to get that going as soon as Ray can take a break from Corn and uh, get that going. So got a lot of things coming. It's amazing. Wow, uh, you're such an uh, inspiration, just like listening to you and all the projects that you're doing. And you're just kicking it in every way possible <laughs> you know you. like I, I, I wrote down a note that I, I swear i just i just want to know this like i listened to game changer that's the song i wrote it down game changer <laughs> key job, changer man. all right so okay i i wasn't listening to the lyrics that's i'm more okay. of a, a riff guy that's okay but I, 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 I wrote three. down it sounds to me like an ohio players groove am Good. i hearing that yeah, am i right you probably are because a lot of people keep saying red hot chili peppers and that ain't got nothing to do with it Flea was listening to the same bands well, I was. Well, first off, to. they're saying that because okay. Roller Coaster of Love or Love mm -hmm. Roller Coaster, they okay, covered now, that for Beavis and Butthead, but I, that's I, the I Ohio players. Okay, I pulled up Love Roller Coaster and I don't still don't hear it. But for me personally, I it, mm. it reminds me of a mm. '70s funk band. It, you can you can say Ohio players, you can say Commodores, you can you could go down the list. It well, was look at just, how you're dancing. Yeah, it's just video. how we did it. It's just how we did it. <laughs> It's how we did it back then, you know. Um, 
I mean, it's just it's just a typical funk groove that you know. And I thought, wow, this, you can dance to this. I pull out my eight string guitars and decide to put a little gent touch on it. And I played I played my eight string guitar and played the E string, you know, and tuned it to E. So you got three you know unison E's. I was I, I was just dealing. Uh, I've been trying to write a couple songs with with my gent guitars because I just love my sugar and that stuff. But, you know, I can't do that kind of math stuff. But um, I hey, like you said that so <laughs> fast. It sounded like it said, I love my sugar. But you like, <laughs> let's be clear. You like my sugar as in I the band. Is very gents. different. Yeah. Yes. Because you could have said like, a- I need my sugar back in my, oh, yeah, in my pancakes. Well, well see, they're, they're a big inspiration to me because, you know, yes used to be a big inspiration in prog metal, you know, and all kinds of stuff because I like parts and changes. But, um, Machine came along and made me groove so mathematically fucked up that it gives me goosebumps. It's uh, so they, true. And 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 I love to go see them play because I dance my ass off. Give me the one and the grooves just they're so fucked up. And here's the thing, as a child, I always loved funky music. I love that offbeat thing. And I would make up these crazy fucked up rhythms in my head. But I had no metronome in my head. So I just walk along and I hold things out. But I didn't know what I was doing. And when I heard Meshuggah 40 years later doing this, I thought to myself, they, they taught me the math behind it. And so I'm like, whoa, okay, now I can do this myself in my own head. And it's so much fun to to come up with some really screwed up grooves now that you can still dance to. I used to make up fucked up rhythms before where you couldn't dance to them. They were just math for math, like a lot of gent bands are. But Meshuggah, like the godfathers of the thing, everything they do grooves. And so if you're grooving, I don't care who you are, I'm down with you. <laughs> that's beautiful and that's what an excellent way to wrap up the... <laughs> seriously man if you thank... ain't got groove you got nothing yeah. that's right may the groove be with you may the groove be with you Doug. and also with you right. I always say that I've said, I've said that for years and years for like 30 years may the groove be with you I just tell people that all the time well we're going to pass that on to everyone we talk to awesome. as well that's <laughs> pay awesome. it forward <laughs> Doug, I want to say thank you on behalf of all of us because I, I, I'm not even kidding. I'm dead serious. And I tell people, go online and support bands because one thing we talked about earlier is, you know what? This is how this is how Doug eats. This is how everybody yeah. in the music industry tries to eat if you're, if you're lucky. And Shannon Indeed. Larkin from Godsmack, who's a good friend of ours, literally called me and was like, oh, do, do you want to talk to Doug? I'm like, do I ever? <laughs> so, and here you are. So thank you, Shannon Larkin, for manifesting yes. one of my fucking heroes and one of the greatest voices, dare I say, in history. We had Miles Kennedy on this last week, and we're having you on this week. Like, shit, man. Like, unless Freddie Mer- Mercury comes back to the Ouija board, I don't know who else oh, we're going to talk to. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> No, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You're an amazing person, human, spirit, musician, all the things. And Thank you. we've learned a lot from you. And I'm, I'm sure that everyone tuning in will absolutely learn a lot from what you had to say in both parts. So for anyone listening to this, go back and listen to part one as well. And subscribe. Yep, 2020-D.com. 
we'll put all the links, uh, Doug, that you got to promote going on. everything. Uh, if there's anything else you want to let people know about, let them know. Otherwise, okay. man, yeah. Merry Thank Christmas you. and Happy New Year. That's, that's <laughs> right, but I guess so. Yeah. I was, I was trying to say I was trying to say Happy Halloween, but <laughs> it's all right. All yeah, the holidays coming up. Yeah, just happy everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and thank you for being living proof that music keeps you young because absolutely you're on top of it, and it's just thank such you. a it's so inspiring to hear you talk. So Dude, my back hurts at 38. That's when you got signed. <laughs> I literally can barely walk. I, I have like thoracic outlet syndrome. My arms are numb, and like meanwhile Sorry. you're 70, being like, I feel fine. I do. Like that. Yeah. I have to do that. Do some research. You got to you got to fix that, man. You can You got to. Yeah. You know, well, listen, yeah. man. Can I? And I, I'm, I'm telling you, as you can see, I, I surround myself with this. I will pay you whatever for you to sign a, your new record for me. Charge me whatever, but please send me something I can frame in my studio and put up with all my energy around me because okay. I want some of Doug Pinnock. That's why I got these online because I, I, I all my favorite people are watching me. So when I'm, I'm by myself trying to get the bass, I play 300 times until I hate myself because you're watching me. <laughs> right. That's Ben's ask you. that he makes on every episode. Yeah, so, no, so yeah, because I, I worship the people. Uh, so it's that, amazing. I, I understand him. I understand. <laughs> I, I do. Him. I love this guy. We, well, we appreciate your time, man. Check out two zero two zero dcom and Doug. Hopefully, we can talk to you again soon, man. I hope so too. Take care. All Thanks right, thank care. you so and much. King's X, please come back. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com, like, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 62, featuring Alex Skolnick of Testament. Check it out. Um, another great thing about being in the Bay Area, for, for all my complaints about it, the guitar teacher that a bunch of us studied with, the, um, the guys in, in Exodus, the guys in um, a band called Possessed. The guitarist was Larry Lalonde. He would later join a band called Primus. Um, the guy that we all studied with was named Joe Satriani, and he was teaching in a little guitar shop, and we were all kind of scratching our heads, going, why is this guy not more well-known? <laughs> this is insane. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.